Cole Shack's Loot Podcast, Episode 5, The Zombie. Hello and welcome everybody to the Cole Shack's Loot Podcast, a fan podcast dedicated to Jeff Rice's infinitely loved by everybody, Carl Kolshak, and the TV series that followed after a few TV movies. Um, my name is Robert. I'm joined by my host tonight, Bradley, and we are covering the zombie episode. This would be the second episode in the TV series, and it's also one that was airing now, that is, is airing now as the second episode in on MeTV. And we know that people have been having some Facebook parties and watching that and having some comments on it. We've really greatly enjoyed being able to do that, too. So without any further ado, Bradley, how are you doing, my man? Oh, did, did somebody say zombies? I'm, I'm here for some zombies now. Yes, you are. Have you seen George A. Romero's Infinite? No, never mind. Hey, whoa, you're burying the, you, you're burying the lead here. We, we gotta, well, that's, that's further down. Further down, I sir. Um, hey, I was in on that Cold Shack thing last night, man. It, it was wild. Like, they're just comments really? shooting left and right, you know? I think it ended up with like 300, 400 comments, something like that. Shut up. Well, yeah. it, it's it's a very, um, you know, well, well-loved episode. So oh. I could see how that would happen. And, uh, okay, we'll, we'll talk about it. We'll talk about it. Mm. Which, you know, this sort of feels like deja vu, um, Robert. Why? Because we just did this last night? Uh, yeah, it's, uh, I think we might have, uh, we might have talked a little bit last night over the phone over dog walk. Um, yeah, people, you're gonna you're gonna really enjoy. Hey man, it feels <laughs> hearing 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 that uh, exchange with me, and then I don't think you'll leave in the audio about me and describing the people that were driving around on the golf cart at the <laughs> university. But it it was I tell you what, in not naming anything, it was exactly what I thought it was because I went by the uh, throwing fields earlier today. And I saw the name announcing the program. So it was exactly what I thought it was. And um, there you go. There we go. But, hey, let's get into yeah. some Cold Shack goodness this week. And, uh, you know, this week we're, we, we, I've got a new segment here. And uh, we call this the TV Guide Segment of the Week. This week, TV Guide's cover story profiles Jimmy Walker of Good Times. Good reading. TV Guide. So uh, this week in TV Guide, going back, the week it is September 20th, 1974. Uh, this week, NBC, Sanford and Son at 8. You got Chico and the Man at 8.30. The Rockford Files, uh, The Dark and Bloody Ground, a new episode, and Policewoman is going is, uh, going head-to-head with Cole Shack at 10 o'clock. On ABC, you have Kodiak, Death Chase, the episode. At uh, 8.30, The $6 Million Man, The Pioneer, a new episode. And at 9.30, you have The Texas Wheelers. And, of course, at 10 o'clock, Cole Shack, The Night Stalker, with a new episode of The Zombie. And on CBS, airing Planet of the Apes. So that fills that entire block. And that's, that's a little little bit of trivia there. Do, you, do you, I think you've probably seen this in the um, posts that people have done on the Facebook sites that everybody um, you know, talks about their, their, their fandom or everything, Kolchak. But uh, do you know what the connection between the $6 million man and Kolchak is? Darren McGavin was on an episode, wasn't he? He was, he was in the pilot. Yes. Um, so the, I guess you would almost call it the TV movie. And I tell you what, 
the the TV series itself was a little cheesy. I I, I rewatched it recently. I loved it as a kid. Is is that um, the one where it's like we have the technology? Is that the same one? We can make him better, stronger, faster than he was before. I barely. That's da, vague, da, da, da. vague in my memory. But da, uh, da, da, da. hey, and I tell you da, something else. Looking, th- if you look through the cast and during my cast and others, st- like there's a lot of shows that just I thought, oh, people might want to know people are in this. But so many cast cast members from the Night Stalker were in Six Million Dollar Man and in Kojak and in uh, the Rockford Files. That if I did that, like the entire list would be like, so and so was in Rockford Files and Kojak. So was this person was in Rockford Files, Kojak, and we, Six Million Dollars. Yeah, we may have to call a few of those. Yeah, so I sort of, if there's a lot of overlap there. But yeah, there's a lot of connections. Uh, we'll talk about Darren McGavin and Six, Dollar, right. six Million Dollar Man way down the line, probably. We, we will. I just got to say one more thing that the I don't think McGavin played a character named Oscar Goldman. He may have. But I, as far as I know, the pilot of the Six Million Dollar Man, I believe, was called Cyborg, and based off of the the novel Cyborg. And uh, and well, just back to it though, I I think the pilot's a great movie. It really is. When it gets into the TV series, a little like yeah. But anyway, um, the the replacement that plays Oscar Goldman is actually our bad guy in the Kolshak second TV movie. Yeah, and apparently uh, the his name in the series was Oliver Spencer. Yes, that sounds right. Well, it's funny they gave him a cane, I guess, to make him less trustful or less trustworthy. Or oh yeah, if anybody's got a cane. Yeah, I mean, and that could have been you know part of the the novel. I, I don't know. I think that is a novel I'd like to read sometime. But just as you said, back to a little coal shack. Well, thank you for giving us that that look at the past. Um, I I did experience that past. Definitely with Six Million Dollar Man. I remember Angie Dickinson and Policewoman. I definitely remember watching Chico and the Man. <laughs> and um, I'm trying to think if there's anybody else in all those that you listed. I don't really remember too many more of them. Uh, Planet of the Apes? What about Planet of the Apes? Oh, I, I missed you saying that. No, I love that. That um, was the uh, I, that was the what did I say? I didn't. I've done clicked off of it now. I think oh, that was okay. the the CB, CBS movie of the week. I guess it, it oh, ran. Okay. It ran from uh, nine to eleven, I believe. So. Yeah, I really enjoyed Planet of the Apes. Um, and I missed this in the uh, Twilight Zone episode I just recorded with Daryl as we were talking about a particular episode and then the big shocking reveals at the end. And there was, there is one that Rod wrote for the Twilight Zone that is very similar in terms of the the effect that you get from the Planet of the Apes. And you were, you were aware of that, right? The Rod wrote Planet of the Apes. What? Yeah. No. Yeah. It, yeah. He he was the original writer on it, and it, they had some rewrites, but no, it it was Rod's baby, originally. What? There's somebody else linked to that. There's no there, way. No, there is a way. I I promise you. I promise you there is. We may have to. We may have to we'll cut a little bit of this out, everybody. But we're gonna have to do a little searching right now i've got it i've got it pulled up right here uh it says created by pierre boulet but i think that's the guy who wrote the books uh well again after the script Hmm. Hmm. all right so i'm looking oh god the apes michael wilson screenplay by michael wilson and rod serling told you oh my god my life is a a lot well I mean, go go figure why it was such a great movie. Well, 
that's is that not nut? Have you ever done that to yourself? You you've enjoyed something and then you end up finding out later that somebody you really enjoy did that and you're like, wow, how did I not know that? And that makes sense. Yes. I did. Yeah. It, and 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 just recently, but I, I for the life of me, I can't remember what it was. But yeah, I watched something, and um and then and, and looking back at who wrote it, I was like, of course, that's why I like this. So it's sort of like it's sort of like self validation. You're like, well, you know, I guess it's a good thing that I like them. And you know, speaking of Rod Serling, uh, I think we've got a couple people from the cast and crew that are uh, linked to Rod Serling. That is going to oh, be, yeah. and that's where the zombie's going to be. And that's where I'm going to be. Wait for me! No! I'm coming! Get back, get back! I'm ready for anything! But before that, well, who who are the cast and crew here? I don't know. I, I wish I knew when you're, we need to have a little red light going on the, the screen flashing when you're going to tell, you, you just show me you're going to play that bumper. So I know not to talk over it. <laughs> Where the the fluidity is going to be there eventually. So obviously, Darren McGavin as Carl Kolschak, Simon Oakland as Tony Vincenzo, Charles Aidman as Police Captain Leo Winwood, Joseph Sorolla as Benjamin Spazzato, Val Bizagolia as Victor Farisi, J. Pat O'Malley as the caretaker. John Fielder as Gordon Spangler, Antonio Fargus as Sweet Stick Weldon, and Scatman Crothers as Uncle Fileman. And you're going to keep on letting me have to say all these people. Pauline Myers as Marie-Juliette Mameloise Edmonds, uh, Earl Faison as The Zombie, and Carol Ann Susie as Monique Marmelstein, uh, Ben Fromer as The Monk, and Roland Bob Harris as Poppy. Yeah, and a couple of the other cast members uh, that are uncredited. Gary Baxley as Willie Pike, Calvin Brown as Hood, and Hank Callia as Albert Burke. This was directed by Alexander Grassoff. Grasshoff, is that how you say that? Uh, yeah. We'll roll that one. Produced by Paul Playden. Written by, is that Ezekiel Marco? Mm-hmm. and David Chase, and it is based on the novel by Jeff Rice. And this, of course, this episode's The Zombie, and it aired, as we mentioned, the TV Gods uh, portion, September 20th, 1974. And other works by the cast and crew. Good, uh, good Lord, Bradley. That's a lot of information. Well, this... <laughs> There, this is. I mean, do you want to make the whole podcast about other works of people? Hey, I'll we'll, we'll zoom we'll zoom through this. You act like it's gonna take forever. Just don't just don't read fast. Okay, go ahead. Tell, oh. tell me what you want to tell me. Charles Aidman, of course, uh, starting with him, was in the House of the Dead, which not the video game, the original movie, uh, Playhouse ninety, two original series Twilight episodes, Little Girl Lost, and When the Sky Was Open, the picture of Dorian Gray TV movie, The Red Badge of Courage. And he was the narrator for the 1980s Twilight Zone reboot. Might just push back from the Twilight Zone. And that was his voice there. Joseph Sorolo was Doctor Doom in the 60s, uh, 60s cartoon for the Fantastic Four. Show me the puny mortal who does not tremble at the name of Doctor Doom. Yeah, I spent a lot of time on this. Uh, he was also in Rich's favorite show, The A-Team. He was in Quincy, Hawaii Five-0, Hang'em High. J. Pat 
oh, man, you know, this was super surprising. He was a prolific voice actor. And once I started seeing what he was in, it, you know, rung a bell. Uh, he was in many of the Disney's best films, The Adventures of Ichabod Crane and Mr. Toad, something uh, Rich is very familiar with. Uh, Alice in Wonderland, he actually played uh, Tweedledee and Tweedledum. Can't go yet. No, the visit is just started. Would you like to play hide and seek? Oh, button, button. Who's got the button? He was also in The Jungle Book and 101 Dalmatians. He was also in the 55 Alice in Wonderland TV movie, Macbeth TV movie, Playhouse 90, and this Serling episode, Bomber's Moon. Alfred Hitchcock presents The Magical World of Disney, and, and he was in four episodes of The Twilight Zone. John Filter was also in two episodes of The Twilight Zone, The Munsters, Star Trek, Bewitched, Three's Company, one of my favorites, and one of the best anthology horror shows of all time, George A. Romero's Tales from the Dark Side. He was also a voice actor in Robin Hood, The Magical World of Disney uh, Shorts, and he was the voice of Piglet in Winnie the Pooh from 1961 to 2005. What am I to do? I'm all alone. Pooh. Pooh, where are you? Antonio Fargus was in Shaft, Sanford and Son, Foxy Brown, the TV movie for Huckleberry Finn, Firestarter, Howling Six, The Freaks, which somebody else from the last, either the first movie or the last show, or the last episode was in that, The Fresh Pinch of Bel-Air, The Simpsons, and the recent DC show, Black Lightning, which that, that only came out, like, that's still coming out, so crazy that there's people still, you know, doing stuff. Uh, Scatman Crothers was in Alfred Hitchcock Presents, Sanford and Son. One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest, The Shining. Not things that anyone can notice, but things that people who shine can see. And the Twilight Zone movie. And he was also a voice actor in Aristocrats, Harlem Globetrotters, The Magical World of Disney, the new Scooby-Doo movies, Hong Kong Fooey. Scooby-Doo Last Olympics, and he was in Transformers, one of my personal favorites. Okay, Decepticons, time to get down. Carol Ann Susie was in Seinfeld, Sabrina the Teenage Witch, and of course we mentioned her being in The Big Bang Theory as uh, Wallowitz's mom. I know what that means. I watch Dr. Phil. <laughs> I thought that was, that was pretty good. Um, She's got a great voice. Yeah, oh yeah. Uh, ben Frommer was in Cult of Cobra. These are a lot of weird, some 40s and 50s horror movies. Bride of the Monster, the Bugs Bunny short Transylvania 6-5000, which is a reference to the, I guess, Pennsylvania song, which also featured Heavenly and Twin Pinks, as Count Blood Count. Oh, it's never too late. Come in. Lost in Space American Pop, Psycho 2. I've never seen that. Have you ever seen Psycho 2? No. No, I haven't either. And Bella Lugosi's last film, Plan 9 from Outer Space, considered the worst film of all time. Definitely worth worth a watch, and it's it's very strange. Bela Lugosi plays Dracula, but he dies during production, so they have to have somebody just walk around in a cape acting like he's him the whole time. Good stuff. Um, of, course that's, of course, that's featured in Ed Wood. Yes, Ed Wood, a great movie based on the person you know who did it. Yep. Yeah. Uh, Gary Baxley was the stunt coordinator for films like Jurassic World, Predator, The Warriors, and the 2014 Godzilla, which those are blockbuster movies from recently, so it's crazy that uh, there's still a lot of people in the stunt world doing that, because Calvin Brown was the first African-American stuntman recognized in Hollywood. He worked on a lot of stuff, and Hank Calia did the stunts for the movies like Return of the Living Dead, one of my favorites, sort of a spinoff of the George A. Romero stuff. That's a long story to get into. 
uh, Rambo 3, Nightmare on Elm Street 5, The Dream Child, and Tremors. See, those were all worth it. That was worth it. Everybody enjoyed it. And if they didn't, they can skip forward two or three minutes, five minutes, 20 minutes, whatever it is. Well, it sounds like we're at that point where we're going to go ahead and do a little episode recap. Bradley's actually going to be reading that episode recap. It's, I believe it's going to be uh, written by somebody we're very familiar with. Yeah, I think you're right. Uh, but let's get into that right now. Colshack, why don't you uh, lead us into that? Popular folklore would have us believe that there exist in the underworld ruthless men who fear nothing. This story should debunk that myth. August 14th, 2 a.m. While the upper strata of the syndicate were accustomed to dealing in millions, the foundation of their fortune was here in their counting houses in a small change of the numbers racket. Mr. Albert Berg, head collections man, a graduate of an Ivy League business school. He was an incompetent even by syndicate standards. The only smart thing he'd ever done was marry the boss's sister. Willie Pike, he'd never been convicted of anything by anybody except the boxing commissioner. Willie took a dive into the canvas and on through into the bulletproof car set. Willie was making a bundle, a bundle he would never get to spend. 2.30 a.m., Willie Pike, one-time heavyweight contender, now just one heavy pile of lifeless junk. Uh, and we're going to use the synopsis from uh, Mr. Dewitziak from his book, Not Stalking a 20th Anniversary Kolchak Companion. A vicious gun battle puts Carl Kolchak on the story of the numbers racket war between two rival crime families. The prime suspect is Bernard Sweet Stick Weldon, bitter enemy of a mob boss, Benjamin Spasato. Spasato. Uh, several of Spasato's men, including Victor Free Is it Freeze? That's funny if it is. I didn't realize that. It, it, it's pronounced it's pronounced more with an italian accent oh i'm i'm sorry. i apologize to any of my our italian uh, brothers and sisters out there um have had their backs broken by a giant of a man named uh francois edmonds the murders seem to be over when edmonds is apparently killed by the police but morgue attendant gordon spangler has astonishing news for kolchak the body of francois edmonds is the same body brought back to the morgue the previous week the body which disappeared had a strange substance in its ear chicken blood the corpse doesn't stick around this time either. After spying on a meeting between Spazato and Weldon, I'm going to miss that one every time, Kolshak is nearly killed by the mobsters. Then he's nearly killed by the zombie. Instead, he sees the undead Edmonds murder another gang member in the same grisly manner, broken spine. Kolshak tries to tell the police that Edmonds was the dead man he saw lying in the morgue. For some reason, they find this difficult to believe. Certain that he has once again stumbled on the supernatural, Kolshak Sneaks around the home of voodoo priestess Amalwa Edmonds. To his horror, the reporter sees that she is preparing to send her zombie killer after someone named Kolshak. Armed with the knowledge of how to stop a zombie, our hero confronts the killer in an automobile graveyard. That, that sounded professional, Bradley. Yeah. Um, that, that was really, it's it amazing that you did that so well when you wrote that. Yeah, uh, that was all me. <laughs> No, no. <laughs> that and and oh, that was another thing I was going to tell you. I messaged Mark today, and he said, uh, "Feel free to use anything uh, from the companion to quote it verbatim." Uh, he was completely cool with that. Uh, I just wanted to. That's cool. Yeah, that, and, that's all. Awesome. And we really appreciate Mark. Uh, I know he probably don't have time to listen to every episode because he is. That that's one thing we talked about. He is to the grindstone with that Poe book. Uh, but I left him a couple words of encouragement tonight about his book. But thank you, Mark, for that. And this is page 96 and 97 is what we're going to be using tonight. Guys, if you haven't noticed, you may hear a little ambient sound in the background. That is the tinkling of the metal of my dog's chain. And I'm walking around the um, 
what I want to say, the 11.30 p.m. Eastern Time um, lit parking lot of Bellarmine University, which is near my house. And uh, we decided to see if we can talk about the episode, just like we're having a phone conversation, which we typically do, believe it or not. We don't just talk to each other when we podcast. And this episode, um, you know, is, is it's, it's difficult for me to say if it is actually my favorite or not, but man, it ranks right up there. I've never watched the episodes back to back to back to back, and I may have to do that to truly pick a favorite, but this one is just outstanding. And I think, Bradley, you felt the same way about it. Yeah, I, and I don't want to spoil my writing later, but I think this was better than The Ripper, so I don't know where you go from 10. Um, but I thought this was a really great episode. Uh, I loved, so I love Tony and Kolshak's, uh, I guess they're, they're, the way that they interacted this episode, it was funny. It's, I mean, even from the, uh, oh. you know, Kolshak being in jail, you know, being again at the police station and him coming like the parent of like a teenager, you know, that picked up drunk and the, you know, so much like that. And I know that, uh, Rich mentioned that and, uh, talked about that in our interview that hasn't aired yet, but, uh, I don't know. I thought that was a really great scene. Just the way he comes in hair, just a mess just coming in there. Um, and in my mind, he was wearing a bathrobe. I don't know if he really was or not, but that's like what it was in my mind that he was woken up out of his sleep to come in and yet again bail Carl out. And and really, uh, Rich Haddam, who you said we had uh, interviewed, his his saying that it really was this father son relationship, and that Carl is the uh, the boy who cried wolf, and no one believes him, and. Uh, this this also could not have illustrated that any better in this particular scene. Oh yeah, but I mean, even from the from the first moment of the of the show, Kolshak's very uh, what well, arrogant is I don't know if arrogant, would you say a Kolshak is has a little bit of arrogance to him, maybe a smidge. Well, just d- d- describe what what is what he's saying or doing that makes you feel like it's arrogant. So he you know he gives a whole spiel about you know hey they found him. They, they were mob bosses, and then now just one heavy pile of useless junk is what uh, one of them is. You're but, okay. But no, but so then— you're saying, you're saying the narration. Yeah, because he comes in the office, and he says, I got into the office before all the other idiots arrived. And, I, and I'm just like, that's <laughs> that's so Kolshak just to be um, just, ah, you know, it, and these guys ain't real reporters. I'm the real reporters. But he's like sort of at the bottom of Tony's totem pole, and I don't know if that plays into it a little bit maybe that he— He's so low down that, and I don't necessarily think he's that low down. I think Tony just treats him, uh, I don't know, with kid gloves sometimes. I think, yeah, I, I I think Tony knows, at least if we, granted, think from what Rich said, it's almost as if the TV, the first two TV movies didn't exist. And he just goes from episode to episode to episode, almost like he's discovering this craziness for the very first time. And I yeah. think that, um, but the, the deal is though, that Tony, um, if you at least have that sentimentality from the very first TV movie where Kolshak is really at his most vulnerable and you don't know, he doesn't know yet he's going to get bounced out and we don't know it either, but that's when Tony finally breaks down to be able to say to him, you're one hell of a reporter. Yeah. And so I, I think he, you know, there absolutely is like a father son proudness of it. But I think what Mark was saying, actually, they're they're supposed to be roughly the same age in this, and that's it's difficult for me to say how old 
uh, you know, Tony look versus Carl. I think both of them are trying to play actually younger people than they actually are. And, and that's all right. But yeah, this, this just had such a great uh, beginning with that narration, just like you're pointing out. And I think it is, it's that, it's that detective noir uh, type of mentality that these, um, you know, opening scenes have where he reports like a reporter, but it's like he's doing more of a, of a detective novel, you know, than, than anything else or the crime beat, let's say. Wouldn't you agree to that? Yeah. And I looked it up just now. So, uh, Simon Oakland was born in 1915 and Darren McGavin was born in 1922. So, uh, about a right. seven, seven year age difference there. Uh, yeah, but- I, I- I think that's represented. Yeah, but that secretary that that ends up going with him, uh, she, the first thing that she start or was it the same one? Yeah, she tries to throw away his coffee. Uh, we talked about that sign last week that said no coffee or beverages. It has the mugs hanging under it. She's like, give me the coffee, and he's like, I'm got, let I'll throw it away myself. And like, there's right. a back and forth, and he does right. throw it away after she leaves. He chunks it, and he's just going through papers. And he says, here, go yeah. give this story to Tony. I done typed it up, and of course, Tony. Trying to suck up to it to Kolshak comes up. Oh man, they have a really fun conversation. Man, this is very yeah. good. It's upside down. <laughs> Kolshak. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Carl says, "Well, it's amazing because I just handed it to her, and you've already read it." <laughs> yeah. So get those extra pencils you wanted. Oh yeah. Listen, I read your Willie Pike story. Oh, well, you must be taking up speed reading. I just typed it. Oh, it's very good, really. Huh? Got upside down. Huh. What do you want of me? I'm starving. Let's get out of Maddie's, grab a cup of coffee and a piece of Danish. The last time that you invited me out for coffee and Danish, I ended up in Sioux Falls, Iowa, covering a hardware convention. And the time before that... Well, listen, can a man take a co-worker to coffee without being suspect? Co-worker? The last time you called me a co-worker, I spent three days rewriting the obituary because Charlie Creech was on one of his benders. Co-worker? I had no co-worker. I was the co-worker. It, it, it is really it just where you mentioned how you felt like some of the scenes were in the Ripper between Updike and um, Carl, and then also Tony and Carl. You called it comedy gold. It really was great stuff. Yeah. I mean, it's very, very entertaining, very funny. And it kind of, if you think about it structurally, like having having Rich Adam on now makes you want to think about everything and analyze it um, in a literary sense. But I think what it does is it establishes Carl has a little bit of a win in that situation. And even though he's being Carl and yelling and whatever else it is, the audience knows Carl's right and that he's getting set up to do this. So in a very sly kind of way, we get Carl's first win of the episode. You know what I mean? Yeah. And and as much as I liked Updike in the last episode and I really enjoyed the scenes that he was in, I feel like – I like it better without anybody, but just, which I mean, you had the secretary, but I mean, she didn't really, uh, I don't think she played into it as much as Updike did, or maybe she did, and I'm just not realizing it, but I, I feel like. Well, when, her, yeah, yeah, her, I mean, her comedy all came from um, being this pushy, you know, Brooklyn-born, um, you know, reporter wannabe, whose daddy or uncle or whoever it was was a huge deal in the uh, the newspaper business. You know, you've been, anyway. out, you've been out in the field. This reminds me a lot like Coast to Coast. Have you seen UFOs? Just we'll, we'll change shows real quick, and I can be well, your George you hear, Norrie. Did you hear the sirens? Yeah, did you hear the sirens in the background for a little bit? 
No, I I, there was that helicopter when we started. Yeah. Well, there were sirens going on too, so I don't know if that'll that'll pick up anyway. But yeah, but hey, but guys, anyway, yeah, guys, in order to get this episode out to you, this is what we had to do. Uh, <laughs> this is a labor of love, so I apologize for this, and we'll try not to let this happen in the future. But it's all to get this out Sunday, you know, after the MeTV watch. So uh, anyway, you can continue with your point there, Robert. Yeah. So so anyway, um, so I don't even know what my point is anymore, but. I think we just need to go ahead and talk about kind of the comedy of um, do, you, do you have the, the name of the character and or the actress who plays the, the secretary who did Carl takes out? I mean, we know we know that she is the voice of Walla Witz's mom, and I'm not trying to get into all the cast or anything, but we're going to talk about her a little bit. So do you have that accessible? Uh, yeah, I believe her name is. So her name is Carol Ann Susie, I believe. Yeah. And uh, and she died in 2014. Is that the same person? Well, she died in 2014 because she died in, in real life, and they showed that yeah, um, we, yeah. tribute to her on The Big Bang Theory. Yeah, so um, as, as being a sudden death of Walla Woods' mom. And her and her name is her character's name is Monique Marmelstein. Yeah, okay. something like that. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Yeah, so so she wants to be a real reporter. They're driving in the car to oh, go out to this big. Yeah, there's this, this big, you know, go ahead. Sorry. There's another comedy gold part before that. There's right before it cuts to commercial, and this has got it. And it and I, I'm watching on, on the NBC app, and you have to watch commercials. So I get yeah. that effect that it used to have. You know, some of these things are streaming. That gap of time is you don't get that, but you know, watch it this way. Right. I have. So before that, Coney's trying to sweeten him up, you know, and do all this. Yeah. And, and he's like, and Carl, and Carl said, I'm never letting her come with me. The next scene, it, it shows yeah. the close-up of him driving. <laughs> and it zooms out, and you see her, and she's talking about, you know, there's nespecism. And he's like, what? Yeah, I went to – didn't she say something about going to journalism school? Or she, she yeah, went, she, he, yeah, like my, my father or uncle didn't go to journalism school. I did. Yeah. You know, and I'm going to be a real reporter. <laughs> But she can't. She can't pronounce and know probably what, exactly what nepotism means. And Carl tries to correct her, and then she does what a lot of people do when they're correcting. And they still don't get it right. She still says it wrong. Yeah. Yet again. So, so this whole thing is set up by Tony saying you're going to have this exclusive access to you know the police who are going to corner these men. And, you know, it's right in the middle of this, this gang war. And we see the police telling the, uh, the, the brothers, was it the Russo brothers? Yes. Uh, I think that's the names of them. Yeah. I told you I know this pretty well. Um, telling them, come out, you know, and they start shooting. And so <laughs> the police captain says, open fire. And they're all <laughs> shooting at each other like, oh, my gosh, this is like a Wild West, you know, type of, type of situation. But here's the craziest thing. You don't see Carl, and then all of a sudden you see him just flying like a bat out of hell. On two wheels. He goes around a car. Yes, into the, into the scene of this gunfight, and you're already like, my God, Carl's nuts. Well, what happens? The woman gets out, and she starts running in there taking photographs. And Carl eventually you know, knows that he doesn't want her to die, but also he throws her in the trunk. And then he goes and does the exact same thing. No, <laughs> I thought the exact same thing because what? And the funny, even the police acknowledge her and they're like, "You're gonna get that woman killed, Cole Shack. What are you doing?" Right. And they say right. nothing when he's 
because shots are like hitting the door like they're they're right there not just not and he says oh you'll get a good shot sitting right here he said are you sure yeah yeah and he just boom pops her in the trunk that was right it's like it's like it's like almost like the cops <laughs> they they're they don't want no woman dying but by god you know Cole Shack, well, whatever happens to him happens to him exactly I, th- I think he's a thorn in the side of everybody well he describes the relationship with himself and that captain as being like the um Cruc- yeah the it, crusade yeah Cole Shack yeah, says, says this is like the crusades but without the chivalry Winwood and I had a relationship that was long and bloody like the crusades only without the chivalry yeah yeah long long and bloody but without the chivalry And so, yeah, they don't get along. So, cut cut through to then, then they want to hide the body. Uh, they don't want all these other reporters who show up to be able to know what's going on. Kolchak has his hookup, which I wish they would have used this guy throughout the entire series. He is so good. Gordy the Ghoul. And yeah. what, what is he running in, inside of his... Um, morgue there bradley he is he got going on besides medical science he's running a lottery of information uh basically i think i think the way it works is they're betting on the day people died is that what was going on yeah yeah so he so they have to pay him for information and then that comes in the form of um them him you know then he will you know (laughs) it's so silly that they got it running like that. So yeah, and he if won't you think about it. Who want you know maybe maybe something like that would happen. I think to you know Jeff Rice working as a as a reporter or other reporters out there working, and they you know very well would have like these bets probably of when the next person would would die. You think about uh, what was the the movie that Clint Eastwood was in called Deadpool. Yes. Yeah. Not 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 the comedy Deadpool, but yeah, the actual. No, movie. the actual, yeah, the original. Yeah. 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 And uh, just reverting back to the uh, 20th anniversary companion, one thing that Mark noted was throughout this episode, and that I guess I didn't notice, but he points it out that I did. Uh, Tony has grown fond enough of Kolshak to call him Carl, but when very angry, he reverts back to Kolshak, as in Kolshak. Yeah. He's even given ample opportunity each episode to revert. Uh, so I thought that was funny. And he says that he. Right. Right. Gordy the Ghoul runs a morgue lottery based on corpse information, so maybe it's more than that. But Carl has to pay him every time he goes and gets information, and I think that's funny. Right. Like he just even one scene, just pick me something. Like he has a random calendar out, just randomly put you know picking picking somewhere. Ah, there you go. Yeah. Just can I get it now? Get the information. Yeah. Thirty-one, it is. Oh, whatever. Let's just get this stupid game over with. Tell me. Well, I, I'm going to give us some. Um inflation perspective here so this came out roughly 1974 1975 right yeah yeah is when, when this aired in in that year um i still remember um going to get a fill up with my dad on one of our cars and he was outraged that, that the entire tank took five dollars to fill up <laughs> and, and that and that was because we had the energy crisis yeah. Prior to that, it probably took about two dollars to fill up. I mean, gas is so cheap, and so now we fast forward nearly fifty years, right? And you think about what a gallon—not um, a gallon, but what a fill up 
on a you know a regular sized car might be yeah with the inflation and everything you're looking at forty maybe sometimes fifty dollars yeah now he gives uh, Gordy you know he said that his last little bit of information is going to be worth it you know not even for a twenty and you see like yeah. you know Coltec give him so Coltec probably laid out forty bucks so let's take forty times five and do undo the inflation here. You know, because roughly Kolchak paid, you know, somewhere around mm-hmm. what it would take to fill up a, a, a car. And so he gave him nearly $200 worth of information. I mean, $200 worth of money to <laughs> and, get that information. And then after he gets Ooh. it, he said, I've got more information. And, and Kolchak's like pulling out a handful of change. I, I, I got no more money. I got no more money. Yeah, yeah you can hear the, the coins drop on the ground. <laughs> And then he's like, I, yeah, then, then that's a funny Gordy. That's a hilarious part too. Is Gordy will say, okay, I'll give this one for free, but I, yeah, exactly. only after he knows that he's drained the pockets of cold shack dry. Uh, right. Right. So let's, I think what we ought to do is jump into some of the investigation that he does. And so Gordy, you know, lets him know that it all has to do with the numbers racket. And Carl's going to have to go to the South side of Chicago to be able to get this information. And mm-hmm. we hear Carl um, as he's driving in the car, he's narrating again. And he says that he tried everywhere he could. No one, you know, wanted to give him any information. But when he said he was a former client of Francois Edmonds, then they at least gave him the name of somebody to go visit so that he had to get his. He had to get a lucky number. A lucky number. Yeah. yeah. Okay. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. So then we meet, for those of you who aren't aware, uh, one of the greatest voice actors ever. Meet Scatman Crothers. Uh, what do you use those for? Dinner. Delicious with black beans and rice. Yeah, that, that was who, has, who has played <laughs> Metal Arts Lemon um, on the Globetrotters in the cartoons. He was, he was yes. Metal Arts Lemon. Yes. Um, I, can't, I don't know for sure, but I'm sure. Sure, he was probably in some Scooby Doo's. He was a uh, Hong Kong Fooey. Hong Kong Fooey. He was Fooey. Hong Kong Fooey. Yes. And he was. And most most importantly, he was in The Shining. Well, no. Most importantly, he was in the Transformers. He was Jazz. Come on, Transformers is. Uh, you think Transformers? I'm, I'm, I'm sorry, youngin. You're, you're gonna have to go ahead. <laughs> hey, Transformers. Like, put, put on your big boy pants. Step out. Step out of your high chair and put your baby food away. Transformers is like '84. Compare. You're not going to compare The Shining to a Transformer. No, today, hey, are you? I was just messing with you. Kubrick is my favorite director. Kubrick's my favorite director. My favorite movie of all time is 2001: A Space Odyssey. So that's right. I that's agree. right. No, now, wait a minute. Isn't your favorite movie George A. Romero's favorite uh, ho- favorite horror movie? Favorite horror movie is <laughs> Not a Living Dead, 1968. All right. Well, let's cut to the chase. So there, there are a series of things happen here that I have been wanting to talk about. For at least five years. Okay, hey, before that, <laughs> yeah. I'm going to derail everything, though, because there's a couple... Oh, no, what? Well, I just wanted to... I want to make a couple points, because I thought they were interesting points. So, okay, Col- Col- You're when, probably going to say what I want to say, but go ahead. No, this is before this. We we missed, We skipped over three things that I wanted to mention. One was okay, go for it. Tony and Kolshak have an amazing one-sided conversation in the morgue. That that I again, this is my comedy gold award of the week because I think I'm gonna have one, where he somehow <laughs> is answering Tony's questions unknowingly. 
unknowingly as Tony's asking him. And then when he finally does put the phone up to his ear, that's when Tony's handing the phone to her for getting, getting the pot in. <laughs> and it seems like old Shaq just gives a big uh, screw you to Tony and slams it down on the receiver. Listen, Cole Jack, Monique is going to call her Uncle Abe. Abe the Smiling Cobra. In his ear? That's right. Cole Jack, what are you talking about? What happened? They buried him. Buried him? Bury who? Abe Marmelstein? If she gets to him, he's going to come down on me like a ton of chicken blood. Whatever. Then I'm going to have to come down on you. Why? That's management. I don't know. You're going to have to apologize to her. Can you help me? Yeah, I think I can convince her to come to the fault. Now, you hang on. Hello, hello. Listen, uh, Monique, I think everything's going to be all right. He's going to apologize to you. Hello? I'm listening. Hello? Hello? I'll kill him! Yeah, I tell you what. The Marx Brothers... And Abbott and Costello could not have done that better. That was that was an amazing scene. Yeah, you're you're dead right. I I, I am I am forever in your debt for forgetting to say that and, and you know, joyous that you did. Yeah, we'll find we'll find you know, if we don't get an apology, we'll be up to our ears and chicken blood. Well blood. Yeah. I mean okay. Um and then the and of course after that, uh let me go back to my notes here. Uh, we get the police conference, which I also thought that was this was funny, that Kolshak says a black man was found as well. And then a black woman turns around and he says, that's right, Susan, as if like that piqued her interest. Like, oh, okay, I'm, I'm listening now. Um, anyway. this Well, I, I'm going to echo what you just said, is that this episode had a particular sensitivity to it that may have been representative of you know the changing of time and in in the fact that the police captain when he's arguing with Paul after there is uh, the grave um, killing scene and they're in there and that's when Tony's bailing him out you know he says um, I didn't want to mention that uh, this guy was a Haitian because of the you know sensitivity to them being from a foreign country yeah and, and you know and that that has always um, made me extra aware that this show in in some ways it plays on it because I mean the characters uh, <laughs> the characters are so kind of uh, almost painfully you know um, representative of of the Haitian with the the monologues is oh no honey you got to sit down. He looked to me like uh, one of the living dead, a zombie. Oh, you go to the cinema too much, Sonny. Mm. I do not where you get this crazy idea. Why you come here to tell me this? Like what exactly? You know, good representation of an accent is that, but yeah, but I mean, anyway, it, I, but I, even it, but that's been in our culture and that's been done even since his. Disney Channel was doing it like, you know, 10 years ago with like That's So Raven or 15 years ago with That's So Raven. So, I mean, it's it's not something that, I, I don't know, like, Kolshak and, and even like, black, you know, uh, African-American people of color, uh, their portrayal in media at that time, like all in the family, you know, the Jeffersons seemed over right. the top. And Kolshak seems to handle it not as I don't want to say it's bad, but not as... Uh, it's, it's not as severe. I, th- yeah. I think that's, that's what I think of. It's not as severe. And I guess there, it, it, it's the fact that the captain brought it up, that this is, I did want to mention this. And it wasn't 
derisive in the way of saying, these are Haitians, and I don't want to get people upset because we're talking about Haitians. You know, it wasn't said that way at all. Yeah. It was said in a way that we have to be sensitive to the fact that these are people from another country and they have different ways. And and uh, I, I thought that was pretty interesting. But yeah, but, e- but even besides that, there's black characters that are playing characters like like they're playing just regular characters. And you, you don't they don't they're oh, not yeah. playing characters. And you think, oh, they're just playing a black character or something like that. You know, they're right. playing characters and like, oh, you know, this is just a character in the show. Um, but right, Kolshak right. also, he runs into the, before he gets more information for, from Gordy the Ghoul to go hit some more, you know, he hits that dead lotto again. He goes and sees the grave diggers and they talk about, oh, they've been piling them like a, like they're in a high rise, too high. Gonna report high. To, yeah, going to report to the union on this one. Yeah, and, and then, of course, Kolshak runs into the police captain uh, yet again and he warns him uh, that digging could leave him that digging even more into the story, uh, no pun intended, could leave him pounding on his typewriter and casts up to his neck. Uh, and then that's when exactly. we see him. Then that's when Kolshak goes and finds out uh, Scatman Crothers. Or, right, yeah. right. Well, and, and Scatman's one, one joyous thing to see, but I don't think Starsky and Hutch might have been out around the same time, but Antonio Fargus, um, who played, you know, the sweet sweet stick yeah and this one you know played huggy bear the the, the pimp with a heart in 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 uh Starsky and hutch yeah and you know reprised wonderfully by snoop dogg and then the slightly more comical version of it with ben stiller and you know, Wilson. i've never seen this i've never seen the the uh, ben wilson uh ben wilson owen wilson ben owen stiller wilson. version <laughs> yeah i've never seen that version oh it, it, it's hilarious it's really good no, I, 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 I would. It, 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 and the other guys make an appearance, so it's not like they ripped it off, you know, completely. Um, they did make it a bit of a comedy, but um, no, they. There's the whole thing with the car, and Stiller is perfect. It's absolutely perfect to play uh, Starsky. So. Yeah. Um, yeah. So the original Starsky and Hutch wouldn't be out until. April of 75, and this, of course, aired September of 74. Uh, there you go. So. There you go. Well, so anyway, this, well, there's the other part on here. Yeah, what's the five-year, what's the part you've been waiting to talk for for five years? What's that? This is it. This is it. Go this is it. When okay, roll people, with it. When people say his name, we had this conversation with the Wizziak, they will uh, typically always say the hard chat as opposed to Shaq. And we went through mm-hmm. the whole thing about this was Darren McGavin's interpretation of how the name should be said versus Jeff Rice's. And there, there is a debate, and yeah. with the act says it like McGavin, blah, blah, blah. Yeah, even, yeah even the cop I, said it called Shaq earlier, called Check. Well, exactly. Now, guess what? In what? the Ripper, in the Ripper, and in the scene at the warehouse where he's talking to Cesado and Cesado's man, and they're there at the window after Carl's been caught because he couldn't play his, uh, he played his uh, recorder too loudly and got caught. Yes. The guy who is there outside of the car at the window, he calls him Cole Shack. The the police woman who is in the um, in disguise in the massage parlor in the Ripper calls him Cole Shack. Mm-hmm. Everybody else except for one other person, 
the entire series that I've I've heard so far all calls him Shaq. And the only other person to call him Shaq is going to be someone, and what is that coming towards me? Okay, possum, going the other way. <laughs> <laughs> Man, I was hoping it's a cryptid of some sort. Dang. Uh, <laughs> it could be your black cat that you're afraid of from our uh, <laughs> other night of recording. Yeah, um, the people hear that later. But anyway, it's so it's his wife, Kathy Brown. Yeah. Um, she plays she plays the scene. I mean, she plays the character, and she actually calls him Shaq. Now, I think you know there was always this purposeful. Um, uh, I mean, Marcus said he thought that, that there's been some debate to think was it on purpose, was it not? I think it was all completely on purpose because we've seen the videos that have been shared by the Facebook group where McGavin's interviewed and he corrects the reporter yes. who's talking to him about the title and he says whole shack like moves his hand tells him exactly what to see it so what i think is so wonderful in this particular scene in the warehouse is that <laughs> the italian guy actually says what's the cold shack or what's the cold shack and yeah. then, you know they go through the whole thing he's a reporter and they they say the name differently it's cold shack what's a cold shack He's a reporter. That's right, Mr. Spazzato. Uh, reporter, INS. What's an INS? Independent news servicer founded in 1904 by Enrico Peluzzi. And then, twice in this episode, once with... Uh, Sweet Stick. Sweet Stick. Yeah, he says... And then also here, he comes up with different names yeah. for his brother, Sidney and Marshall Kolshak. Yeah, the, when he's talked to Sweet Man, he says, Oh, Marshall Kolshak is the one with the big mouth. And then here he referenced yeah. uh, Sidney Kolshak. He's the one who... He wrote in the Society column. That was it, yeah. It, well, why should that be something to get me that excited after five years? But it is. That I finally get to talk about it and, and lay it down. And I have um, found all those instances where people call him Shaq versus Chack. Now, I think somewhere in there we're going to have to get some um, Shaquille O'Neal um, audio that we can play at the same time. But anyway. Wait, um, wait what's the Shaquille O'Neal audio? I'm just joking because he was called Shaq. Oh, I see what you're saying. <laughs> okay. Anyway, that, not not that great of a joke. That was terrible. All right, so let's can, can we skip to the, the 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 portion where Carl, of course, has gone in and has seen the you know after after he's thrown on his ear by Sweetstick, he then sees the chicken in the garbage. And realizes the chicken blood. Now, is that when he goes in and and, and finds the monologues, or is that a different time? I can't remember that for certain. So, uh, so he goes in there and he's talking to her. And, and no, I know, but is it is it immediately after he's bounced on a deer? So, but yeah, he gets kicked out of her house okay. and he's going and he's sort of she, he's looking around and he goes to her trash can and starts digging through it, you know, because. Hey, if I get kicked out of somebody's house, the first thing I'm going to do, if I'm an investigative reporter, is dig through the trash can. And then exactly. he he climbs up and gets oh. in the the rafters of her house, of her outbuilding and watches as she writes his name in chicken blood. Is a freshly killed one back there? Right, right. And and I want to make sure we have enough time as I'm getting towards uh getting towards home and also getting to where I'm losing my voice, uh, yelling at a soccer game earlier tonight. But um. That's where he sees the chicken blood in the coffins, and eventually we see what I what I like to still call 
kind of like the monster science or the Kolshak science moment. Yeah. And that's when he confronts and uh, the police captain. And did that scene look potentially very familiar to you in, in almost into a beat to a beat of the way he described what they had to do to kill the, the zombie? Yeah. I mean, he, he did. He tried to do exactly what he, what he said. Well, no, I mean, did that, did, have you seen that in the three episodes you've watched so far? Did that seem familiar to you? Or at least, uh, yeah, the three episodes you've seen so far. Did that seem familiar to you in one of those three episodes? Other than this. Oh, 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 oh. Was it, it's the reminiscent of the first movie where he's, you're talking about when he's explaining it to him? It's, it's where, almost word for word. You know, well, let's say it's action for action. It's not word for word. But here he's finally able to tell them, this is what you have to do to beat this thing. Yeah. And just like he had kind of like a medicine bag of a steak and holy water and crosses and all those things. And said, you have to tell all of your men to be armed with the following. Each one of them has to be equipped with the following items. White candles, matches, salt, and needle and thread. Now, after you catch the zombie, you pour the salt into his mouth. Then, with the needle and thread, you sew the lips very tightly together. What do you do with him then, Kolchak? Cook the guy, baste him with butter. No, you light the candles around him. You know, he goes through, he does the exact same thing with the zombie. And I just, I love that because it is... Um, calling back to that TV moment. And really, it's kind of a consistency with the character. Um, you can count yeah. on him laying down the law, so to speak, and saying, you idiots, this is what you're going to have to do to do this. I know it sounds ridiculous, but this is what you have to do. Yeah. And uh, just to get us to this point where you're talking about, because, you know, this is where we talked about all that, the, the whole grave digging scene where after they caught him, they, you know, he said, I bet my life, he pretty much bets his life on a hunch that there's not going to be a grave in there. And they take him and they make him help yeah. dig the grave. And of course you come back from commercial after that. And he's, uh, I think it goes to commercial after he digs the grave and everything. He, the zombie ends up coming back. Cause he explains they're going to kill anybody involved with the murder comes back, right. kills the one guy. They have the argument basically. Like, I didn't, the, the main leader, Oh, I didn't. I didn't have anything to do with it. And they're arguing back and forth. Of course, he comes and kills the other guy and just leaves. And uh, yeah. And then everybody splits. And I guess Kolchak is left in the grave with the Ted body. And that's when we get the scene with Vincenzo that we talked about earlier coming to the right. coming to the station doing all that. And he it, one, right, of, the, one right. of the good lines from there is, uh, <laughs> so Kolchak's not allowed to talk. He said, "I can't talk," or else you know, there's a <laughs> yeah. and all that. And so he spills the beans to Vincenzo, and Vincenzo's like, uh, he says. He envies the man who is supposedly dead because he at least is getting some sleep. And, uh, exactly. And that's when we come exactly. back from commercial. Got some mean fuzz fuzz rock guitar as he comes to the Canary Yellow House, and we've been over that. Uh, mm-hmm. Meeting the, of course, he's got the Canary Yellow Mustang, meets her, and then that's when he gives the spiel to the captain who's trying to shut him down for the fire marshal. And uh, we, we, set up, uh, we set up for the end scene here. The, the monster confrontation. But... The, let's don't let's don't skip over two things. Yeah. And the one is, and maybe you're going to say this. One is, the story is co-written by one of the greatest mobster TV series writers of all time. Oh yeah. And that of course is that of course is David Chase. Mm-hmm. So David Chase um, is responsible for writing that. And the second thing, 
is well, and he wrote that in the team people. So I don't know exactly what he, you know, did or didn't do in those scenes. That that would be just a golden interview if we ever were able to get him. Yeah. Anybody out there knows David Chase and can get us that interview, tell us. But anyway, um, what he also says is when he tells the captain, you better bone up on this because, you know, this is the way you're going to have to kill the zombie. And what it basically essentially says, what did you do to be so dirty? You know, as a crooked cop, did you just look the other way when they killed him? Yeah. Or are you on, on Spazado's payroll? And uh, that is crazy that he would just, you know, accuse a, a police captain like that. You know, yeah. when the captain's going around that we're going to send the fire marshal here, Carl doesn't have it at all. Like, he doesn't have the time of day for this captain. And goes basically right at the jugular and tells him what a, you know, what a waste he is. And then even, you know, yells at him all the way down the stairs, mm-hmm. for goodness sake. And, and I he, mean, just continues to scream at him. Sounds like he's about to cuss him out before he shuts the door, too. Yeah. Uh, yeah. But you know what they show in that scene? is all the boxes of things that they were going to well, um, get them in trouble with yes. the fire marshal in the stairwell. Yeah. <laughs> and, you know, I didn't look earlier. I think that I think you originally see the setup for it whenever he's running down the steps and she's running after him saying she's going to go to the secretary. Yeah. Um, yeah. So here we are, and he gets to the scene in his Mustang, and she gets out first, and she sees the bodies after another crime's been committed, and she's, like, in shock and horror. Right. Uh, she doesn't move, so he calls for a cab, gets her in the cab, now, here's the part I don't understand what happened. Instead of getting mm-hmm. in his Mustang and driving wherever. Oh, oh no. This is going to be a car sequence. <laughs> Time war problem. Go ahead, Bradley. So, so instead of doing that and getting in his car and leaving, why didn't he get on, when he gets on the back of the bus? Was there a reason? I have no idea. I have no idea whatsoever. I rewatched it, too. And I'm like, why is he getting on that bus? I mean, I, I rewatched it twice. <laughs> I don't remember really seeing it. I guess I missed it. But yeah, yeah he's like, no, wait, you can't, don't leave without me. I mean, it adds, you know, tension and drama and action to the scene, but I don't know where that was needed. Did he think all. somebody did, got on the bus? Or did someone steal his car? Or, you know, I just don't know. I didn't, Maybe. See, I didn't see anything that happened. So. No, I know, I know. Um, it, it's just, for, whatever, for whatever reason... Yeah, that happened. I have no idea what it was. Okay. So I have no idea what happened, but he arrives at the junkyard. And how did he know that he was at the junkyard? I didn't get that either. That was in was the, it? the description of saying where the police had yeah. to look. Okay. So you had to look in all these places where basically a dead body would be. Wait, so. And so it might be it might be in a graveyard. It might be, um, I don't you know, think, like. A, he, didn't, go ahead, what? he didn't say junkyard, did, though, did he? No, 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 no. He 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 didn't name the junkyard, but he I believe he they were implying you had to look places like where where dead bodies were buried and hidden, in addition to just the way you you would find them naturally. So there was junkyards, you know, there were like whatever churches, um, that morgue, but then also this this junkyard I think would be a place where you could expect mobsters to hide dead bodies. And that's you know, the way, that's the way I interpret it. Ah, that's a stretch, but hey, I, you know, for the, for the sake of this episode, because I was looking at the time, thinking, man, they've got to wrap this up quick, and Kolshak is on the back of a bus. What the hell's going on here? But <laughs> I didn't know. Well, you're right. I mean, the bigger stretch is why did they get on that bus? Yeah, 
But I think that's the biggest stretch. But you know, I, I think you're right. There's a little bit of a flop there. But so this from and this and this junkyard. yeah, that whole junkyard scene, man. There's a in Nightmare on Elm Street, and I think this is the second time I've mentioned Nightmare on Elm Street in this because there's a scene where they have to burn Freddy's yeah, bones, yeah. and they go to this junkyard, and the junkyard set up so similar because the, the the cars are stacked up so high, and I think Freddy ends up getting on top of some of the cars. Like I don't know, it reminded me in a lot of that. Um, guarantee it. Guarantee it. I, I think many junkyard scenes of battle slash, you know, um, fights, guns, gunplay, whatever else, I, I think a lot of them have borrowed from the particular scene. Okay. So we are back from last night. So one one thing we found out, I look back when I was watching along with the comments, is that the zombie gets on the bus, but I didn't say the zombie get on the bus, but apparently he does. Yeah, yeah, I, I still haven't gone back to watch it again, but we saw the Facebook comments last night. Some people were saying, you know, that my only issue was the that why did Kolshak get on the bus? And and then someone else said, well, my issue with it was, didn't the bus driver realize that the guy getting on the bus was a zombie? So, yeah, I mean, Francoise Edmond did not look particularly good, no. um, you know, climbing onto that thing. So you would think that. But then again, driving a bus, you probably get some weird characters. So I guess I guess that's all right. So I think we got to the part right to the climax where Carl is get is uh you know climbing over the cars, seeing everything. And I, one thing I noticed the score again, it was the same guy who did the the uh, the score for the Night Gallery. Uh, really really great music here. It had like a techno feel at points, and then there's an upright bass, some bongos, cello, a piano. Like it just sort of alternates between all that. I thought it was really cool. And then of course you have Carl finding the uh, the old hearse there and he sort of crawls in beside the beside the corpse and begins the uh, ritual so so Francoise was sleeping inside the hearse that was like his place to go back to and that, that was is that what was that what we're thinking yeah but that was quick how did he get there so like he pretty much got off the bus the same time as Kolshak and Kolshak doesn't seem get in there and I just thought that was uh interesting yeah yeah I mean I, I apologize I, I don't recall specifics of that and 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 I got to admit, I've been watching a lot of it on my phone. And so the visual quality just isn't as good nearly as, you know, having a bigger screen. So I, I can play it on my laptop. Um, and I don't think, yeah, I, I don't think I can stream it on my TV because my TV, although it's only like maybe five years old, it doesn't get the Paramount Plus app uh, for me to be able to play it on my smart TV. Wait, is, is it on Paramount Plus? I bought it. I, I, for, I keep forgetting I okay. did this. So I bought it on um, Amazon Prime. And I have my um, Paramount Plus subscription through Amazon Prime is the way that I did it. Oh, so, okay. Sorry Because I've been watching it on NBC, which I got Peacock, but it's not on Peacock, but it's on NBC. And you got to watch all the dang ads with it. Um, but anyway, so uh, Kolshak crawls in next to the body, gets his... Gets his salt, and one th one thing you don't see done. I guess now it's might be more prevalent, but like in the seventies, like I, I, it didn't seem like you saw a lot of people. Like if people had the makeup well done, you know. But his he's pouring sweat, like he is drenched. Uh, you mean Cole Cole Shack is pouring sweat as yes. he's trying to do what he's got to do. Yeah, I I and and Rich mentioned that in our interview with him, and I agree, man. It it is intense. Um, what he's going through and, and how he's struggling, you know, to, um, you know, defeat the zombie, let's say, or kill the zombie. 
Yeah, and of course you can't have an easy uh, victory here. You can't have an easy end to this. So, of course, as he's doing that, uh, Mama Louise raises him back from the dead. And what a creepy moment when the zombie opens his eyes and just sort of looks. And Kolchak knows that, uh, yeah, it's time to get out of here. And the zombie, of course, gives chase. Yeah, and tell tell me this, and I've always pictured this in my head of doing this, and I and I know that there's scene where he mining to the police captain of um you know sewing the lips you know he's got that needle and he's acting like you've got to sew the lips you know shut yeah. and does he actually get to a point where he does insert the needle into the lips and get a little bit of it sewed shut? Um, cause it's and at least what I thought I saw was he was just getting ready to do it. And that's when the mama was, that's exactly, yeah. him. he doesn't get okay. any of the lips sewn. I don't believe he gets okay. it close and then it like the eyes open. And so, so what do we think then actually killed him? So was it a mixture of just having salt in your mouth and then did he, or, or was, I guess since he was shot by the, um, the police and and then evidently was killed again, right? By the when they shot him at the farm, and and then it was Mama Lawaz who raised him from the dead again. Is that what we're led to believe? It's a little confusing to me. I think Kolchak said something during his little spiel that, oh, if you take the head or something, uh, I get when he hung him. I think that was uh the the last time he killed him. I guess before he. Because she ended up, so the the post credit thing said that she, or not post credit, the post story bit said that she ended up getting deported soon after, the day after. Um, and I don't know what the Haitian rules of bringing people back from the dead, how often you have to wait to do the ritual. But that, it, that, that's what that's what I'm wondering. Yeah, is is you know all of that stuff. So I I get that that um, Edmonds was swinging in the air when he was being at least held up there by that, that makeshift noose that Carl tripped him into running into. And then Carl had the lit candles underneath him as I guess, part of the ceremony. And maybe he still had enough salt in his mouth at that time to be effective. That's what I'm just wondering about it. So I don't know. Yeah, could be, I I don't know either, but, but anyway, the, the funny thing is for me, I have always taken that scene of Carl saying, this is how you kill it to then in my memory, thinking he actually did. sew the lips, you know, and he had that giant like leather. Yeah. Curve. The curve. Well, it was more like a surgical needle is what it was. He had the surgical needle mm-hmm. that makes you, you know, quicker to do stitches because of the curving, um, man, what, what a, just a gruesome scene, but yeah, the, um, uh, the, the perspiration that he had on him, may or may not have been Carl uh, slash Darren McGavin actually sweating in real life Yeah, as he was in this, you know, I, I would assume this is still just sort of a sound set and, and, you know, they had a, I mean, a shooting set and they just had this, you know, in a, in a studio, but um, then again, he's running on top of those cars. So some of it could have been on location. Yeah, it could have been. Uh, but then as soon as he hangs him, he like drops and it looks like just the bulb detaches from his camera but I guess we're led to believe that his camera's broken uh, and he can't get it fixed uh, because he can't get the picture. And there's a lot of like right there at the end, I guess when the, when the climax and stuff happens, when he hangs him and falls down, there's like some Coltrane like 
esque jazz. Just everywhere. Whoever's drumming that was it was crazy. Uh, of course, cut to commercial, and you come back, and uh, we get the 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 final relay, and uh, Tony. The, yeah. Yeah. Go ahead. Sorry. No. Yeah. And Tony, of course, on the phone with uh, he was with on, her uncle. Yeah. He was on the phone with the uncle about her, and Carl walks by and hears him saying this, and you know Tony's like yelling out, "You did, you." Because I, I think Carl tells him, like, what did you do with Mo- Monique? Yeah, Monique Mamastain. Yeah. yeah, what did you do with Monique? And he said, well, I stuck her in a cab and sent her on her way to Brooklyn. Yeah. And and that's when the the uncle says, what? You you wanted that to happen? I mean, Tony says that yeah. about the uncle. And he's like, why? Why? And then you see Carl just come and <laughs> throws his hat at like the wall, the hook on the wall, just chunks it. This, that $2 yeah. hat, which uh, yep, I'm sure yep. getting that nowadays is going to be less than $2. Um mm-hmm. But then he gives the uh, he's got a broken camera and he just sort of sits back and oh I was gonna say and uh, and then he gives his little ends feel you got anything else to say before we play have Carl play us out of the episode discussion no no I think we can do that for episode discussion and I still have some comments about um I th- I think you might have some but I'm not sure about your notes if any comments about zombies and uh and, and the Haitian rituals but yeah let's go ahead and play that that closing thought I mean why items. Mamaloa Edmonds was deported to her native country only one day after the events of the junkyard. Item, Captain Leo Winwood was relieved of duty for, quote, reasons of health, unquote. Hmm. Item, Francoise Edmonds, the deceased, was buried a third time at public expense. A third time. However, this time, rock salt was poured in his mouth and his lips were sewn shut. City officials will deny this. But you can see it for yourself if, if you'd care to venture out to St. Lucie Cemetery and exhume the corpse. Be my guest. If you've got the nerve. Uh, there you go. Kolshak wrapping us up. I didn't remember that, that A, that the police captain um, left for reasons of health. Yeah. So and remember, Carl said that he was dirty. He was a dirty cop. And so that's kind of interesting to know that he's gone. And B, that people still followed what Carl said that should happen to the zombie. And they did pour salt in his mouth and they did sew his lip shut. And mm-hmm. maybe that's where I combined all that information. Had you caught all of that when you listened to it the first time? Yeah. Yeah. Um, okay. I always, I always tend to, and plus I always tend to, li- I always love those closing narrations. I tend to listen to them pretty close. Um, what about episode writings? What do you got for writing this week? I, I would just, just call it, um, 10 scat, 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 man, Crothers. Oh, uh, that's a bit of boo. Zip up, zip it a boo. Uh, I would give it really uh, lame. No, that, that's not lame. Um, I would give it a uh, 10, uh, sky rise stacked caskets in one single grave, uh, out of 10. It was really good. Really enjoyed it. Uh, all in the union on you. <laughs> and IMDB has this as an 8.0 out of 10, which is the exact same that they have for the Ripper, which we didn't we didn't mention that, uh, but it was 8.0 as well. Um, I'm not sure again what we have because we just went through this discussion. Um, for the uh the the Shack science, but um, we we wanted to discuss a little bit about zombies and um. 
possibly, and, and I must admit, I saw some of this on the one of the discussion sites. And had you always thought about zombies as being two different things, Bradley, or two different origin stories? Uh, or you all, always thought of it as like the, the George A. Romero version that you like so much? I, I remember learning about the historical zombies. Um, and then I learned about the, I guess I really, I learned, I guess I learned about the brain zombies from playing the black ops games and playing the zombies mode where you kill these brainless sort of, uh, you know, animated reanimated humans. But Well, wait a minute. So you, so the first one that you saw when you say historical zombies, where, where does Romero fit into all this? Oh, I didn't see Romero until middle school, but I'm talking about like, I guess the Haitian zombies I remember learning about in, uh, when I, we learned about cultures when we, cause I remember learning think, really, yeah, the goosebumps. I remember learning about like the shrunken heads and different, and I was like, you know, I want to learn about the different Island things and you know, the Island okay. countries and the different religions that I don't, I don't know, guests usually don't get taught. Yeah. What year, what year would that have been? Uh, I mean, just approximately when you were in school, uh, probably 2003 said, cause I was in third grade, I believe yeah. third or fourth grade. Are you familiar? And I meant to say this to, uh, rich last night or two nights ago, whenever it was, but are you familiar with a film called the serpent and the rainbow? Not at all. No. Well, this is a film, uh, made in 1988. And it actually uh, stars, believe it or not, Bill Pullman, who, of course, was the president in July or Independence Day, um, among other things that he's, he's been in. And he plays, to my memory, I, I'm not reading off of this um, uh, information, but he plays, to my memory, someone who is a uh, chemical uh, investigator or a biologist or something like that. And he has been tasked to go to Haiti and learn about zombies and their rituals because they think this is going to be the new drug that's going to make the pharmaceutical companies. Um, the of course, he end up, ends up encountering uh, what that process is like to become zombies and see them. And uh, I, I enjoyed the film um, when I saw it a long time ago. Yeah, it's a Wes Craven movie. I, I've never seen or heard of mm-hmm. it. Never. Yeah, I would I would recommend it. Um, again, uh, 1988, and uh, it's it's at least if you are a fan of that particular um, you know type of monster, let's say, uh, as Bradley is, this is one I think you would enjoy quite a bit. But I remember it, um, 1988. I think I didn't see it. If it was the funny thing is, if it came out when it came out in February of '88. Um, I did not see it with my girlfriend at the time. I remember actually seeing it by myself. I was, I would definitely was the kind of guy who would go to a, a movie theater, see a matinee or something by myself after I got off work from being a lifeguard. Oh and, dude, hundred percent. Yeah. Yeah. So it, I didn't have to have other people with me, not to mention, I don't think I could have drug her to that <laughs> <laughs> to, to see that with me. But uh, so anyway, I, I think it's very interesting that there are these, uh, different types of zombies and and you probably know Bradley that I believe what I also read was that 
in um, Romero's Night of the Living Dead, they don't originally call them zombies. They call them ghouls, correct? Yeah, I don't think the word zombie is ever used in the film. Um, right. So then it's not until later in other shows or movies or whatever else it is that, you know, that that name becomes, um, you know, more, more popularly recognized. And of course, I have to give a shout out to Return of the Living Dead, because Bradley, you more than likely know where the setting is of that. Uh, and if you don't, I will tell you. Uh, let's see. I where is the setting? It mm-hmm. I know that it where, takes place. Where's the town? Yeah, where's the town? I don't know. I don't remember the town. I remember the movie very so vividly. The very, so the very last line in that entire movie is when uh, where the last sequence you see the general gets his um, phone call in the middle of the night and he has to okay the missile strike to take out the, the town. Yeah. And, and they, and he, he's just, it's a one way conversation that you hear, but you understand that someone has asked him to say, or maybe he says, where is it? Cause he doesn't know the information. And then he ends up saying Louisville. Yes. Ah, so, and then they give some really fake, cheesy um, skyline of Louisville <laughs> that isn't even yeah. close to what the skyline looked like at that time. But uh, that, of course, when we saw that in the theaters, we had no idea. And here we are now. Granted, I was over in Indiana at the time, living there, um, just right across the river. But you know, we just screamed and howled and threw our threw our hands in the air, like Louisville! Oh my gosh! What? We're so excited! So excited! <laughs> Well, you know, that is a perfect segue. Do you want to talk about my movie picks of the week? I think we should, Bradley. The movie of the week. Well, my movie pick of the week, and Robert's going to steal all my thunder here, I guess. Um, We'll go. Number five. Return of the Living Dead. Uh, Rotten Tomatoes has that at 91%. Of course, 1985. A great movie. I actually saw that at Dragon Con. Uh, they had a double feature at like 3 o'clock in the morning or something. And, I, and I'm and i like, man, i got to get there to watch the, the Return of the Living Dead backed with, I forgot what the other movie was. Um, but I remember going and seeing it. Uh, number four, Reanimator, 1985 as well. Talk about two very different takes on the reanimated corpse. Uh 93% on Rotten Tomatoes for that. Number three, Scooby-Doo Zombie Island, uh, 1998. Not the... What? Do you, do you always have to include Scooby-Doo in, Sco- in your in your picks? That was the first horror movie I think I ever sort of saw besides... Because I remember watching that as a kid. It was like one of the most... But I don't know if it's horror per se, but it's a zombie movie. I loved it as a kid, man. It was the first... I, my first it, ever exposure to zombies was... Scooby-Doo Zombie Island. And I know that, that some people... That is completely justified. That is completely justified. Uh, number two, and and I made the last-minute decision here. Number two, Night of the Living Dead, 1968. This is my favorite zombie movie, but I'll explain why it's not number one. It's at 97%. Number one zombie movie is going to be White Zombie from 1932. It, it's 90% on Rotten Tomatoes. The reason it is number one to me is because it is... Uh, the Haitian zombies. Lugosi's in it, and like a, he's got a weird goatee sort of looking 
thing on, but it is the Haitian zombies, the way that they're portrayed. Of course, the, I guess calling it white zombie and it being set in Haiti and all the zombies being white might be a little, uh, you know, problematic for today's time, but it's a good movie. It's a fun watch. Uh, I really like Vincent Price's rationale in it. Some of his lines of dialogue are really good. And then an honorable mention that I didn't talk about is the dead don't die from 2019. Not a lot of people like that movie. It is a Bill Murray, Adam driver movie. Uh, it's 54% on Rotten Tomatoes, but it's a very dry humor comedy. And a lot of the, but there's a lot of lines that are just sort of hung out there and there's never, they never come back and there's never like, Hey, here's the punchline. Like there's no punchlines to some of these jokes. They just sort of like strange, you know, that, that, that is hallmark Bill Murray humor. Well, no, Um, that, that tends, that tends to be the way they do it. Yeah. He'll, he'll just like you say, they'll say something that's funny but you don't really get that punchline. You almost have to invent it yourself. Well, but even like there's plot points with kids that they show these kids a lot, but there's never any follow-up to, to them. They're just, why, why so did you're we... saying this, this is a hole in the movie. This is, this is a problem with what the movie did. Yeah. And I think it's more, I don't know, a lot of people, but it, it was a, it's a fun watch. If you like Bill Murray, you'll like it. There's a lot of fourth wall breaking where you're like, is this a movie that needs to break the fourth wall? You know? I don't know. It, it's fun. I enjoyed it. Um, and then, but definitely check out White Zombie. It's in public domain. You can find uh, tons of a bevy of versions on YouTube of the movie. I think even uh, James Rolfe of Massacre does a great uh, commentary track for it. Full, full thing. But anyway, great movie. I think I'm going to have to jump back in here because I've, I've, as you were saying all those, I promised I was listening but I was also scrolling through and looking up Serpent and the Rainbow. And I wanted to know just a little bit more about it. So yes, it, it, the story is that it was a Harvard scientist and Bradley, we may have to talk to the boys at Astonishing Legends because everything I'm reading on this seems like this is a, a legit book is that really? this Harvard scientist in 82 went to Haiti to study. He was an ethnobiologist or ethnobotanist. I think it's a term and uh, it's it's by wade davis the serpent and the rainbow a harvard scientist's astonishing journey into the secret societies of haitian voodoo zombies and magic you blew me away so, with that one i know i know i mean i'm i'm kind of blown away myself so i'm i'm sorry that i'm introducing things the way i am but uh anyway well it Let's do you have, I'm sorry. Do you, I interrupted. Do you have more about the, uh, picks of the week? No, that was it. Any more comments or whatever. Okay. So let's get back to this, this idea about, um, zombie science, let's say, or the way it's portrayed. Yeah. And let's, let's think about what I still think was a good movie, but I realize that people that love the book, um, do not like it for the most part. World War Z is World War Z is I really think it was a good movie. Um, I, I think it, it, it was contained in such a way that you're able to follow the story and, and it had a resolution, you know, at the end that was uh, kind of a promise, so to speak of, um, you know, the, the things that occurred originally with it. And, and I think all in all, it was a pretty good movie, but you know, Max Brooks who wrote the book, um, mm-hmm. he does not in any way, shape or form, um, say that that is his his work or his storyline, and where his book is more of just these like accounts from a journalist 
really yeah. more than anything else, right? And interviewing people and really you have to piece together the information that is said in the book in order for you to get the full picture of what this this was. And now is the, the title of the book isn't even World War Z, is it? Isn't it something else? Is it or maybe it is I that. think I it's got remember. it's I think it's got one of those extended titles like it's uh World War Z an oral history of the zombie war. There we go. Okay. I mean, and that and that says everything that the was in the movie and in the book to a certain well, more more the book. But now, are you one who has read the book? Uh, yeah, and it reminds me a lot of uh, IDW did a comic series. That, so they have these comic series of called Infestation, where these zombies will attack like the Transformers, and they had a, the original Star Trek crew got attacked by zombies. It's really fun, but they have like zombie books where basically. It's this series where you you tell these little snippets of stories and it's like these are people's experiences with zombies and then they're just sort of all left hung out to sort of, hey, this is just a story. And I feel like that's sort of it's more of a of an account than it is like different accounts than it is like a cohesive story, maybe. Yeah. Yeah. And and and, and it's been it's been when when did it come out? It's been a while since I've read the book so i'd really and it seems like it the movie sort of is blending with the book uh, mm-hmm. so I, I need to go back and read it again yeah 2006 i think i was in middle school when i read it last or, or might have been in between high school and middle school um right right now my one of my dreams and i did actually believe it or not i did write something on twitter i i had to take a nap afterwards i was so tired and figuring out how to do it but um, that is a sort of a Buffy the Vampire Slayer uh, tribute by saying that line. Anyway, one of my greatest things would be if we could actually interview Max Brooks. And I wanted to interview him about the zombie episode for the Night Stalker. And that's kind of what I had said in my my Twitter post to him. It's like, are you a fan of Shack and zombies and whatever else? Never got a reply. But that's okay. Well, we there might be a way to reach out to him, you think? There might be some other Well, there's means. always a way. I don't know if I know what that way is. So... We'd have to find out, but I think he, he's a, a amazing individual with the way that he um, has been asked by West point, you know, to go and give lectures yeah. uh, when it comes to uh, uh, how we, how we think about the way our armies respond to things. Yeah. Um, I say armies, I should say just, you know, mil- how our military responds to things. Yeah. Pretty you, cool stuff. You know, how I feel really bad for is, you know, when you're when your dad, you know, looks at you like if your son's is is Max Brooks, you're like, man, I could never live up to the legacy of my son writing these World War Z and doing all this. You know, it's pretty crazy that his I, who, I don't even know who his dad is. Who's his dad? You know who he is. I don't <laughs> you this little this little southern country boy trying to play coy stuff. Uh, I tell you. Yeah, just just go with it, embrace it. Yeah, his dad is his dad is Mel Brooks. Oh yeah, and, and he has and he has said that if you want to find the largest uh, cache or cachet, whatever you want to call it, of military weapons um, in Hollywood, all you have to do is go to Mel Brooks's attic, because Max, in his role with the military, has been given tons of various types of new. Um, let's just say guns or other devices, weapons, rifles and such. And uh, he has been able to test fire those and, and, and work on them. 
and and give people this feedback, but they they let him keep them. So he has then put his story is he is he doesn't want to keep them in his house. Wow. 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 <laughs> I'm just saying that's that's what he has said. Now, can I verify any of that? No, I can't. But um, well, so anyway. Uh, cut to the chase here because now I'm looking at my clock and I'm seeing once again it's one in the morning and I got to get up at five so are you ready you're cutting things off is that where you're oh, we are can, you playing us out we can talk over this as much as you want is there anything else you add no I was just gonna a little bit I mean you know the, there are all kinds of other zombie movies out there and you've covered a bunch of them and I, I think that you've got all these different types of zombies. You've got the Romero ones that are slow moving, but still when they're in a group are able to get you. You've got Perkman's um, zombies from um, uh, The Walking Dead. Yeah. And of course, you've got the World War Z zombies that when Max Brook wrote um, that book, they were slow moving, too. But just kept, you know, the the hordes of them kept multiplying because they would send in more troops to try to kill them and they would get killed themselves and they just became this massive horde um but there's another show that i don't know if you've seen this but it was um z nation that I was on tv haven't seen you didn't it. like it did you no Are i haven't no i haven't seen, seen it, it. Mm. highly recommend z nation it's a whole nother look on it it really went off the rails towards the end but um you know there it's, it's it's a good one to do and they kill off a lot of the main characters in the very beginning and so it's it's very um, you still haven't really watched this or liked it, but it's very lost esque in what they hoped they were going to do in the very beginning, which was they were going to have Michael Keaton um, you know, be the star in Lost, but they were going to kill him in the first episode. And I can't remember if they actually shot any of that or not, but that was I think what was written to be done. And people said like that's nuts. Oh, that, like, that's this is you're 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 gonna that piss me off more. Audience. Yeah. Yeah. So anyway, um, where I was going with all that, but that's, I, I think, I think like Bradley has said, um, that the zombies are, um, really, uh, a, a great group to examine and, and, and what can be really seen as a plague. And that's the way that in, in at least, um, fear the walking dead, that's kind of the way they approached it in the spinoff from the walking dead is that it was more of a disease that people had. And you got to see this whole backstory that of things that happened prior to when we see our group in The Walking Dead. Yeah. So I'm a, I'm a fan of the genre. I really am. And and again, I think that this episode from Shack was a fantastic episode. And uh, as I said, I gave it a 10. And um, there we go. That's, it's, that's the, the rest of what I got to say. Yeah, it's the best episode I've seen of Shack so far. Robert, what episode is next week? Do you know? Right offhand. Well, Bradley, I don't. So maybe you should just tell everybody what it is instead of asking me. <laughs> well, Robert, I knew you wouldn't know, so I come. So, so you, you no, throw me under the bus. No, Thanks, dude. No, because I was just going to say I always come prepared because, of course, I, I've I know it for a fact. Uh, oh, you're looking it up right now. But no, it's they have been, they are, they oh. will be. Good, good luck with this one, Bradley. What? What? Good luck. Spoiler. Spoiler alert. What? Whoa. It it may or may not be one of my favorite ones. I may, may there, or may there, not. There, be. there are some very recognizable cast and crew, so I'm sure you'll be able to spend about 45 minutes talking about them. <laughs> <laughs> you'll be just thrilled to to do that. 
but um, there there's some good lines. But uh, yeah, I, I I hope there are. very inebriated people on a golf cart right now driving by and laughing <laughs> <laughs> this, is, this is not what i expected